Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Sunday. It is November 4th, 2018, and we are off of Daylight Savings Time, so make sure you uh, check your times, check your clocks. So it is uh, two days before midterm elections, and these are probably going to already for um, early voting. It's already set a record for uh, midterm elections. Already 33 million people across the country have already voted. It could well be 100 million people that end up voting. All right. So on tonight's show, you know, you know, last Sunday I had uh, one of my teachers, Dr. Claude Anderson, on, and we talked about how um, African Americans can use uh, our economics to enforce our politics, how we can use our economics to enforce our politics. If you missed that show, just like all the other ones, they are podcasted at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Go right there, click on uh, uh, the link, uh, listen to uh podcast, and you can listen to that show and about almost 900 other episode, episodes of the African History Network show going back to 2010. All right, so on tonight's show, I'm going to uh, pick up on a topic we dealt with about two or three weeks ago. We're going to deal with the history of why African-Americans switch from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. The history of why African-Americans switch from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. Okay. And contrary to popular belief, it largely was not because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. This is like the, the myth that's out there. No, you have to go back. Um, at least you have to go back about 40 years prior to that to really understand this history. Okay. So we're going to talk about that tonight, and then also we'll talk some about Malcolm X's, one of his most famous speeches, called The Ballad of the Bullet. The Ballad of the Bullet. He delivered it April 3rd, 1964 in Cleveland, Ohio, and April 4th, 1964, right here in Detroit, Michigan. And Malcolm, in that speech, he talked about Democrats and Dixiecrats. But that speech is very much misunderstood. And when you deal, when you quote Malcolm, you have to understand chronology. You have to understand, was this... While he was in the Nation of Islam, when he left the Nation of Islam, was this went before he went to Mecca? Was this after he came back from Mecca? So we'll talk about a little bit about the uh, Malcolm X's speech he delivered April 4th, 1964, which is a little different than the one he, the one he did April 3rd, 1964 in Cleveland, Ohio. And we'll deal with um, what some black conservatives get wrong about that speech. And the reason why I'm bringing that up, one of the reasons why, is because back on... Um, uh, a couple weeks ago when you had the uh, October 25th, I think it was, you had the Young Black Leadership Summit at the White House. Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA organized this. They had somewhere around 200 uh, uh, black conservatives there between the ages of 15 to 35. And you had one of them who referenced Malcolm X and Malcolm's criticism uh, of Democrats. We're going to talk about that because that's totally misunderstood, taken out of context. And we're going to bring it up right up to today. Okay? So we'll deal with that. All this has to do with history. Then also, uh, back on October, it was around October 4th, early October, the Congressional Black Caucus released a video, it was a commercial, dealing with what African Americans have lost since Donald Trump became president. What African Americans have lost since Donald Trump became president. Remember Trump asked a question to African-Americans. Now, he was he was speaking to, he was in front of a largely white audience. 
but he was asking African Americans, what the hell do you have to lose? And I was telling y'all then what you had to lose when he said that. And now he's reversed over 100 policies that President Obama had in place, and they're trying to take away health care from you have uh, Republican attorney generals right now suing the government to take away health care from about 15 million people. So we're going to talk about that also, okay? Roland Martin dealt with that on his show early October. It's a very, very good segment. Then we see yesterday in Georgia, so the the gubernatorial race in uh, gubernatorial race in uh, Georgia is heating up. And just when you thought that um, Republicans, like Secretary of State Brian Kemp, could not pull, pull any more tricks out of their white supremacist bag, then he manufactures this theory that the voter registration um, database was hacked by Democrats there in Georgia. So his office has launched an investigation. Really? He's running for governor against Stacey Abrams. It's a dead heat. The audio came out uh, a couple weeks ago of him saying that he is really scared if everybody who's registered to vote in, in Georgia actually votes because he knows the demographics are changing in Georgia and he knows there's a good chance he will lose. So, you know, I, I find it interesting when people tell African-Americans your vote doesn't count. Really? Why, why, why do you have this rampant voter suppression taking place, not just in Georgia, but across the country, but specifically Georgia? Why do you have this rapid voter suppression taking place? What's, what's Brian Kemp so scared about if your vote doesn't matter? I find that interesting. Brian Kemp's office orders hacking probe of Georgia Democrats on eve of election he, uh, he's competing in. He, he just came up with this yesterday. Okay? Um, so we have that taking place. Oh, no, I think that was today. I think that was this morning. I got to bed late. You had to bear with me. Okay? I was up late working on the content for this show. So... That was, uh, I think that was, uh, yeah, this morning they came out with that. Okay. So uh, my all my days are running together. All right. Thanks to everybody who came out yesterday to Wayne State University, my alma mater, for the 10th annual Motor City Black Age of Comics uh, comic book convention. I was on a panel discussion dealing with Black Panther Decoded, Black Panther Decoded. So that was really good. Shout out to Andre Batts and uh, Brother Keith Young, everybody involved with that. So then also in Georgia, we saw this past week, Oprah Winfrey um, went on the campaign trail for Stacey Abrams. And there's a white supremacist robocall that uh, people are receiving, some people are receiving in Georgia. And the robocall is someone imitating Oprah Winfrey and says, this is the magical Negro Oprah, Oprah Win Winfrey asking you to make my fellow Negress, Stacey Abrams, the governor of Georgia. The robocall begins before spewing nearly 60 seconds of racism coupled with a dash of anti-Semitism. Georgians began hearing the call uh, this past week, according to TheHill.com. What are they so afraid of? If the, if, <laughs> if, if the African-American vote does not matter, why are they losing their minds? Why are they working so hard to suppress the African-American vote? Why is Trump trying to scare white people talking about a migrant caravan that's about 900 miles away? And, and, and these people are not undocumented immigrants largely. They're seeking international political asylum. International political asylum is international law 
that the U.S. was involved in drafting in the first place. That's not illegal. That's the international political asylum is different than undocumented immigrants. See, a lot of the white people who are complaining right now, their ancestors were undocumented immigrants. If you just want to tell the truth, if you want to deal with history, a lot of their ancestors were undocumented immigrants. So you have to study and understand uh, U.S. policy in Central America going back at least 50 years in Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and, and, and how the U.S. was involved in destabilizing a lot of those countries' economies to understand what's taking place right now. Trump won't tell you any of that. Trump just won't say, oh, these look like bad dudes and these are criminals. They have some criminals in there and things like this. He's, he's trying to scare white people into, into voting because he knows that if Democrats take control of the House of Representatives, he knows, one, they can block a lot of the bills that Republicans want to get through Congress, number one. Number two, he knows that that means Democrats have control of the House Intelligence Committee. They can reopen that sham of, of investigation that Republicans uh, closed into the uh, uh, possible uh, ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. There were at least 30 witnesses that Democrats wanted to interview that Republicans did not want to interview, and Republicans, because they were in control of the House of Representatives, shut down that investigation. You have the House Judiciary Committee. You have a lot of committees. Democrats can open up legitimate investigations. So Trump does not want this to happen. So he's out there scaring white people into voting, saying that they're coming to take your jobs, even though there's 7.1 million unfilled jobs, right? You can't keep bragging about all, you can't keep bragging about millions of unfilled jobs and then say undocumented immigrants are taking the jobs. And you keep bragging about that there are more unfilled jobs now than in the last 20 years. Trump is out here fear-mongering and just lying to people. And what's very interesting is, you know, CBS News had an article about this. A lot of the cities Trump is going to, they have a large population of poor, uneducated white people. Imagine that. Who would have thought? You know, <laughs> I mean... You can't write a better script than this. You know how many documentaries are going to be made about the last two years? You can't write a script better than this. If you wrote a script, people like this, you know, people would say, oh, get out of here. That's totally impossible. No, this stuff is happening, right? So a lot of the, a lot of the uh, cities that Trump is going to and continuing to lie to these people, they have a, they have a high population of uneducated white people. That's not me saying it. That's the statistics. Don't get mad at me. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about that also. In his 44-city blitz for the midterm elections, Donald Trump has mostly traveled to counties that are whiter, less educated, and have lower incomes than the rest of the United States. Oh, you mean, you mean, these people aren't tired of winning yet? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I thought they would be tired of winning by now. Isn't that what he told you? Isn't that what he lied and told you when he was trying to get your vote? I thought they would be tired of winning by now. CBSnews.com. Don't get mad at me. Go read. I told you you were being played for a fool. Don't get mad at me. I tried to warn you. You didn't want to listen to me. Counties Trump visits in midterms blitz don't reflect the nation as a whole. Hmm. Donald Trump 
is in the final stretch of a 44-city blitz for the midterm elections. But the America he's glimpsed from the airport arrivals and his armored limousine is hardly a reflection of the nation as a whole. Trump has mostly traveled to counties that are whiter, less educated, and have lower incomes than the rest of the United States, according to the Census Bureau data. So that's not according to, like, AtlantaBlackStar.com. That's not according to Ebony Magazine. That's the U.S. Census Bureau. Take it up with them. It's a sign that Donald Trump is seeking to, seeking to galvanize the same group of voters that helped carry him to victory in 2016. But they have a dying population. Trump, I mean, it's a, see, this, they have a dying population. It's a, it's a shrinking population he's appealing to. In his rallies, Trump often highlights racial divisions, namely raising concerns over people entering the country illegally from across the southern border. He doesn't say anything about white undocumented immigrants coming to the country through the Canadian border. Don't talk about that at all. Go look, go, go Google U.S. border, Canadian border. Look at the map. The Canadian border goes all across the northern U.S. He doesn't say anything about white undocumented immigrants coming into this country. This is the fear of the browning of America. This is straight out the white supremacist playbook. Donald Trump has largely eschewed the big metro, uh, metropolises, metropolises uh, uh, for smaller cities. He has been to Tampa, Nashville, Cleveland, and Houston, where the arenas could accommodate his crowds. But he's primarily, but but he's primarily been jet setting to smaller places such as Elko, Nevada. Population in uh, Elko, Nevada, population is uh, twenty thousand seventy eight. Masoni, M O S I N E E, Native American term probably, but they're trying to disenfranchise Native Americans from voting, <laughs> trying to put obstacles in North Dakota. You know you're desperate, right? When you're working hard to to suppress the Native American vote, you know you're desperate. Population in uh, Masani, Wisconsin is 4,023. Belgrade, Montana, population 7,084. Remember during the campaign, Trump said, I love the uneducated? Yeah, I'm sure you do. So when Trump stops at Belgrade, on Saturday, historical records suggest he will be the second president to visit the Montana uh, named uh, the Montana town named after Serbia's capital city. Okay, all right. So check out this article from CBSNews.com. This is from November third, from yesterday, November third, two thousand eighteen. Counties Trump visits in midterms blitz don't reflect the nation as a whole. I wonder why. What's he so afraid of? He's afraid to call, come talk to black people. What's wrong with that? So we have Brian Kemp with the rampant voter suppression taking place in Georgia. And then we see President Obama on the campaign trail again. We know last week um, he was in uh, Detroit and uh, a Friday before last he was in Detroit and he was in Milwaukee on the same day. We see this past week he was in uh, Florida. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that as well. All right. Share the, uh, we're broadcasting on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. Coming up on a break here in a couple minutes. Um, so share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Also, you do not want to miss uh, this history lesson. Hey, remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right knowledge corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. 
what you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man's thoughts, you can control the circumference of his actions because the mind can't do, do or teach what it doesn't know. Uh, we deal with a number of different topics here, current events, politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, to 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter. Also visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All of my DVD lectures are there. You can sign up for the online classes I teach. They're all on demand. Watch at your own pace. You can donate to the African History Network at our website or paypal.me, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And coming up uh, Wednesday, November 7th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, the 50th anniversary of the Detroit Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. It's a presentation and it's moderated. Uh, it is a presentation and a moderated panel discussion. Keynote speaker is Dr. Charles E. Jones, professor, uh, department head, University of Cincinnati. Uh, visit therightorg therightorg for more information. Brother uh, Blair Anderson will be there as well. Uh, he's from Detroit, and he's in the documentary uh, that you saw on PBS, uh, Vanguards of the Revolution, about the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. All right, listen to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Reading is imperative, family. Remember, it was illegal for our ancestors to read and gain knowledge of self. Still to this day, we lack a knowledge of self, especially this younger generation. DTR 360 Books has the books for you to develop and add to your knowledge in this world we live in. DTR 360 Books is one of the fastest growing online bookstores, and it provides books dealing with finance, history, business, children's books, and more. Their motto is, applied knowledge is true power. As the Bible states, faith without works is dead. So their thing is applying the knowledge that which you receive from these books. Visit their website today, dtr360books.com, dtr360books.com, and you can find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mel Trek is an animated series that teaches our children about their greatness. Episode 1 deals with exploring ancient Africa, where they go back in time and visit various African civilizations and the contributions that they gave to the world. Episode 2 deals with exploring pre-Columbian Americas and the children's journey back in time to learn about several aboriginal cultures, defining structures, and nations who arrived in the Americas before Christopher Columbus. This is a great teaching tool for homeschooling and the classroom, and they teach our children that their history did not start in slavery. We have the videos as well as the coloring book and storybook available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a Mail Trek bundle pack on sale right now for $79.99, and it includes all three episodes of Afro Man and the Protectors of the Book of Knowledge. Get this great gift and teaching tool for your children today at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Ed Anime Productions presents Mel Trek, Episode 1, Exploring Ancient Africa. Witness the most accurate historical account of African and African-American people. A story that has never been told like this before. 
Join Bunchy, Chen, Percy, Michelle, and Jesse as they open their third eyes and are sent back in time by their magical teacher, Miss Lawford. They begin their adventure in ancient Africa and the Nile Valley. There, they meet a young Egyptian boy named Ramesses. Using hip-hop, funky beats, and rhymes, Ramesses teaches the children about the great kingdoms of Africa. They explore the Nile Valley. The Nile Valley was a place of Ghana. Ghana is the first land of the gold that is so nice. Mali and Songhai. Mali and Songhai must have had some serious armies. The Congo. The Congo region is beautiful. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, where we land. And the and spiritual transformation of the characters. Not only will they transform, but you will also, as you travel with Meltrek. Let's resurrect the spirit of our ancestors inside all of us, and recall that we all come from greatness, so we can be We're going to do a different time zone Where our ancestors always sat down the throne Yeah, and I'm talking about you and me Our people think she considered greatness and royalty So rise up, sons and daughters of a KB land It's time to claim our riches and take back our land So come and take this journey And when you come back Tell your friends and family all about the mail trap Are you struggling with your finances or just need a second opinion? My name is Martisha Patterson and I am here to help. Whether you have questions about credit, retirement, taxes, investments, or meeting day-to-day -day responsibilities, you deserve access to a qualified, caring, and resourceful financial professional. As a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry, I have a passion for helping people gain confidence and become successful with money. Taking control of your finances creates options instead of obstacles confidence instead of uncertainty. Make no mistake, this is an important step for all of us. Will you allow your situation to control you or will you take control and make your money behave? My name is Martisha Patterson. Call or email me today to schedule an appointment. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384 or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, November 4th, 2018, two days to midterm elections, the most important midterm elections in our lifetime, most likely. And, uh, you know, we had Dr. Claude Anderson on last Sunday. Uh, be sure to listen to that podcast. Very informative. We dealt with a lot of information. Go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, listen to that podcast. We dealt with how um, we can use, how we can leverage our economics to enforce our politics. I want to pick up on a uh, topic that I dealt with uh, two or three weeks ago. And we dealt with some of the history of why African Americans switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. Uh, so I want to delve into that topic here. So a lot of people think it's because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. No, largely that's not true. You have to go back about 40 years before that and uh, even go back to the early 1900s to understand what was to come, to understand a sequence of historical events that lead up to that happening. So the political realignment of black voters set in motion at the close of Reconstruction gradually accelerated in the early 20th century, the early 1900s, pushed by demographic shifts, 
such as the Great Migration, and by black discontent with the increasingly conservative racial policies of the Republican Party, okay, in the South, the Republican Party in the South. A decades-long process ensued in which African Americans were effectively pushed outside or left the Republican fold because of its increasingly ambiguous racial policies. It's increasingly ambiguous racial policies, okay? All this, all this had to do with policies. It wasn't because we loved one party. It wasn't because we loved Democrats or things like this. This had to do with policies impacting African Americans, okay? And keep in mind that politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. This is the, a, a good way to understand what politics is. So by the end of this era, the major political parties' policies and a re-emergent activism among younger African Americans positioned us, positioned black people for a mass movement in the early and mid-1930s to the Northern Democratic Party the Northern Democratic Party. You have to make a distinction between the Northern Democratic Party and the Southern Democratic Party, often referred to as the Dixiecrats, who were the Southern segregationists, okay? So even though there's still one political party, you have different factions of the political party. Just like today, you have different factions of the Democratic Party. You have the established uh, Democratic faction. You have the more progressive Bernie Sanders wing, all of the Democratic Party. Same thing in the Republican Party, okay? All right, so we, we have to understand this history. So weakened to the point of irrelevancy, Southern Republicans, after the year 1900, curried favor with the political power structure to preserve their grasp on local patronage jobs dispensed by the National Party. Therefore, Southern white uh GOP officials or Republican officials embraced Jim Crow. Southern white GOP officials embraced Jim Crow. Through political factions such as the Lily White Movement, which excluded blacks and black and tan societies, T-A-N, which extended only token political roles to African Americans, the party gradually ceased to serve as an outlet for the politically active cadre of Southern African Americans. So you have to understand some of the history of the Republican Party, which was founded in 1854. It was founded as a direct result of the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, which left a decision about whether or not to have slavery in the Western territories that uh, U.S. citizens were moving into. It, it, left the, it left that decision up to those people moving into those territories as opposed to being dictated by the federal government, okay? So um, the Republican Party was organized by groups of abolitionists who were in opposition to slavery, and they were the counter to the uh, Democratic Party at the time, the Democratic Party, all right? And the Democratic Party that we're dealing with at the time was the Democratic Party that really basically comes into existence in 1828. They were known as Jacksonian Democrats, named after uh, President Andrew Jackson, okay? But these two parties are largely going to come, um, well, the, the Democratic Party largely 
kind of splinters or breaks away from, there's a previous party to that called the, if I remember correctly, is the Democratic hyphen Republican Party, which is a, which is an older political party. Okay. History.com has a, uh, has an article about the Democratic hyphen uh, Republican Party. All right. And that's a, um, that's a, a, a older party that uh, existed before the uh, Republican Party of 1854 and the Democratic Party of uh, 1828, okay, as we know it. All right, so you have to, you have to understand history to uh, understand this, all right? Okay, uh, yeah, the Democratic hyphen Republican Party. Uh, though the, and, and if we look at this article just very quickly here, from history.com. History.com is the official website of the History Channel. It's called uh, Democratic Party. And it talks about how the Democratic Party is one of the two major political parties in the U.S. and the nation's oldest existing political party. After the Civil War, the party dominated the South due to its opposition to civil and political rights for African Americans. After a major shift in the 20th century, today's Democrats are known for their association with a strong federal government and support for minority and women's rights, environmental protection, and progressive reforms. And they talk about the Democratic-Republican Party. And uh, it says very briefly here, though the U.S. Constitution does not mention political parties, factions soon developed among the new nation's founding fathers. The Federalists, including George Washington, John Adams, and Alexander Hamilton, favored a strong central government and a national banking system masterminded by Alexander Hamilton. Okay, but in 1792, supporters of Thomas Jefferson, who becomes president in 1800, Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, who favored decentralized, limited government, formed an opposition faction that would become known as the Democratic hyphen Republicans, the Democratic hyphen Republicans. So this is where this starts. Despite Washington's warning against the danger of political parties in his famous farewell address, the power struggle between Federalists and the Democratic-Republican Party dominated the early government, with Thomas Jefferson and his supporters emerging largely triumphant in 1800, because 1800 is when um, Jefferson becomes elected as president. The Federalists steadily lost ground in the early 19th century, the early 1800s, and dissolved completely after the War of 1812, War of 1812, 1812 to about 1814 between the U.S. and Great Britain once again. Okay, so you can check you can uh, check this out at history.com, history.com. This more I just don't have time to get into it. All right, but there's a little background information dealing with the Democratic hyphen Republican Party. Okay, so let's continue here. All right, so um, gradually African American leaders at the national level began to abandon their loyalty to the GOP, the Republican Party, while the party's political strategy of creating a competitive wing in the post-war South was not incompatible with the promotion of African-American civil rights. By the 1890s, party leaders were in agreement that this practical political end could not be achieved without attracting Southern whites to the ticket, okay? Uh, equal, uh, equalitarian uh, ideas, explaining a leading historian, had to be sacrificed 
uh, for the purposes of practical politics. Okay, so you have um, policies that are uh, beneficial to African Americans being pushed to the side. Okay, to still continue to gain support, basically. However, mutually exclusive opportunities presented themselves to the National Republican Party as late as the 1920s. On the one hand, GOP officials sensed an opportunity to present the party as a moderate alternative to the segregationist policies endorsed by the outgoing Woodrow Wilson administration to make inroads into the growing urban centers of African-American voters. Okay, so this is during the Great Migration. So the Great Migration is basically 1915 to about 1970. You have 5 million and 6 million African-Americans migrating from the south up north. They're moving into these cities. They're continuing to move into Detroit and Gary, Indiana, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Chicago, Illinois. They're moving up north, okay, and um, they're also seeking some type of political representation as well. So because of the Great Migration, is 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 pushing political shifts in these parties. So on the other hand, in campaign efforts against Northern Democrats, such as Al Smith of New York, Republicans perceived perceived the chance to cultivate Southern white voters by adopting racially conservative positions. Okay, Republican. Repeat this. Republicans perceived the chance to cultivate Southern white voters by adopting racially conservative positions. The, the, the dilemma, writes historian Louis L. Gould, G-O-U-L-D, quote, was that the politics that spoke to one group alienated the other group. The politics that spoke to one group, African Americans, alienated another group. The party chose a middle course. GOP presidents in the 1920s hosted African American leaders to discuss touchstone Issues such as anti-lynching legislation, though they did little more uh, for fear of alienating Southern whites. So if you go back and you look at um, the big march of uh, 1917 by 11,000 African-Americans, uh, it, was a, it was an anti-lynching march, and they were fighting for an anti-lynching uh, federal bill, okay? And that came about, that march came about because of, the uh, East St. Louis race ride of 1917. When you look at why the, uh, one of the main reasons why the um, NAACP was formed in 1909, coming out of the Niagara movement, which was created in 1905. But uh, 1909, the uh, NAACP, one of the things that they were fighting for, and one of the reasons why they were formed, was because they were fighting for federal anti-lynching law. Okay? And they uh, largely convened because of the uh, Springfield, Illinois, Springfield, Illinois race riot of 1908, which was one of the early northern race riots. And when you study the history of the formation of the NAACP, it caused people like Dr. W.B. Dubois and Ida B. Wells and others, it caused them to think that maybe the solution to the problem was an um, a interracial organization as opposed to just, say, like the Niagara Movement, which is the African-American organization, or the organization that the Niagara Movement splintered from, which was the Afro-American Council, founded in 1898 by Bishop uh, Alexander Walters and uh, 
Thomas T. Fortune, T. Thomas Fortune, Thomas T. Fortune. Okay, which was a, which was an earlier African, which was well, one of the early um, African American civil rights organizations. You had the National Afro American League, which was founded about 1892, and then you have the Afro American Council, which was founded in 1898. Okay, and by 1903, in the Afro American Council, you had two factions that broke out. You had a pro Booker T. Washington faction, okay, that was more of an accommodationist type faction, and then you had the other faction. That was more progressive, which was Dr. W.B. Dubois. So uh, Dubois is going to separate from that, and they formed the Niagara Movement in 1905. Okay, all right. So, uh, so the dilemma, uh, as uh, historian Louis L. Uh, Gould said, was uh, that the politics that spoke to one group alienated the other. The party chose a middle course. GOP presidents in the 1920s hosted African American leaders to discuss touchstone issues such as anti-lynching legislation that they did little more uh, that they did little more for uh, because of fear of alienating Southern whites because they needed the Southern white vote. Okay. The party's relative lack of enthusiasm for changing segregation practices in the civil service. Okay. Civil service jobs enforcing the reduction clause of the 14th amendment or endorsing fully the, enact, the enactment of an anti-lynching legislation convinced many African Americans that the political priorities of the party of Abraham Lincoln were no longer compatible with those of the African American community. So as these demographic shifts change, as more African Americans are moving into these northern cities, you, you have a change in the priorities and the policies of the Republican Party, and they're perceived to no longer be beneficial to African Americans, who were largely uh, Republicans. So at, at the 1926 National Convention for the NAACP, the NAACP pointedly resolved, quote, our political salvation and our social survival lie in our absolute independence of party allegiance in politics and the casting of our vote for our friends and against our enemies, whoever they may be and whatever party labels they carry. Let me repeat this. So they're talking about 1926. They're talking about African-Americans having no party affiliation, but voting based upon our issues and policies that are most favorable to us, regardless of party affiliation at, at its 1926 national convention, the NAACP pointedly resolved quote, our political salvation and our social survival lie in our absolute independence of party allegiance in politics and the casting of our vote for our friends and against our enemies, whoever they may be, and whatever party labels they carry, okay? But when they talk about the, our friends, they're talking about based upon policies. They're not talking about drinking buddies. They're talking about based upon policy. They're talking about getting something tangible for your vote. So the Republicans' presidential nominee, so, it's not this, so, so a few minutes ago we talked about the Lily White movement. You have to research the Lily White movement and Herbert Hoover. This largely comes about 1928, and this 
starts a seismic shift, okay? The Republicans' presidential nominee in 1928 cast more doubt in African-American voters' minds. Herbert Hoover's handling of the relief efforts after the devastating 1927 Mississippi River floods disappointed the African-American community. Sounds like a Flint, Michigan water crisis. Tone deaf, tone deaf, not to be confused with tone loke, tone deaf to issues that resonated with African-Americans. Herbert Hoover catered to the lily white delegations at the Republican National Convention. The platform contained no uh, meaningful, mean, meaningful or substantive concessions to African-Americans' interests besides a perfunctory sentence about the necessity for anti-lynching legislation. Okay? So they, they, they were not talking about policies, for the most part, that were beneficial to us. These are the Republicans. Okay? Furthermore, during the campaign, Herbert Hoover devised a Southern strategy against Democratic nominee Al Smith, who was perceived negatively in the South because he was Catholic and was believed to present ethnic and African-American interests. Al Smith was a Northern Democrat. At this time, you have the Northern Democratic Party. It's one Democratic Party. But you have factions. You have the Northern Democrats that were more, quote unquote, liberal for the most part. And then you had the Southern Dixiecrats, as they were often called, and as Malcolm X called them, the Southern Dixiecrats, who were the segregationists. Okay? This is in the Democratic Party. So Al Smith was a Northern, uh, he's from New York. He was a Northern Democrat. So Herbert Hoover is trying to appeal to the Southern Republicans who are also segregationists because all Republicans weren't like for African-Americans. You have Republicans in the South. You have Republican segregationists as well. Herbert Hoover is trying to appeal to them. Okay. And also a drawback of Al Smith was that he was a Catholic. So we know that the British colonies were Protestant. Okay. And when you study the Ku Klux Klan, when you read the bylaws of the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan, you had to be a white Anglo-Saxon male Protestant at least 16 years old. They didn't allow Catholics into the Ku Klux Klan. Okay, so. Um, all right, so furthermore, during the campaign, Herbert Hoover devised a Southern strategy against Democratic nominee Al Smith, who was perceived negatively in the South because he was Catholic, and was believed to represent ethnic and African-American interests by courting, by courting, by appealing to the racially conservative white vote with tacit support for the segregationist status quo. Herbert Hoover fractured the solid South and captured the electoral votes of five southern states, five southern states, Virginia. North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida, and Texas. Okay, almost all of them are former Confederate states, if not all of them. Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Florida. They, yeah, those are all former Confederate states. 
1928 presidential campaign. See, once again, this deals with the Lily White movement. The Lily White movement was a movement of the Republican Party to push African Americans out of the party because they wanted to make the Republican Party Lily White. They wanted it all white, okay? The 1928 presidential campaign marked a significant step toward the eventual black exodus from Republican ranks. Though a majority of African Americans cast their vote for Herbert Hoover, African American defection from the party was greater than in any prior election. So the 1928 presidential elections, when you start really having this shift, even though the majority of African Americans who were registered to vote voted for the Republican Herbert Hoover, this is still the largest defection of African Americans at the same time during that presidential election. Now, manufacturers of public opinion within the African American community, including the Chicago Defender, a historic African American newspaper founded by uh, Robert Abbott, the Chicago Defender, and the Baltimore Afro American. Okay, supported Al Smith and the Afro-American. That's what they were called because that newspaper was founded about 1892, 1882, 1892. And the term, as I explained to people, the term Afro-American did not start in the 1960s. The term Afro-American goes back to the 1830s. Okay, and just so we're on that topic, the term African-American was not created by Jesse Jackson. The term Afro-African-American, the earliest recorded usage is um, May 15th. 1782 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The two articles from the Washington Post that deal with this history. Meanwhile, the party of Lincoln seemed unresponsive to the changing electorate and lacked a strategy for adjusting to new political realities. Quote, as Negroes moved to the north and to the cities, they became part of the new urban constituency. Okay, explains historian Richard Sherman, quote, just as America had ceased to be predominantly Anglo-Saxon, so had black-white relations ceased to be primarily a problem for the South. In short, Republicans failed to develop a program which could attract major elements of the new urban America. A, end quote, a constituency that formed the core of the Roosevelt New Deal coalition that propelled Democrats into power in the 1930s. So as African Americans are migrating from the South to the North during the Great Migration, they want their needs met also, which puts pressure on elected officials. And the Republican Party was not addressing those needs. Okay, and then when we go into the President Roosevelt administration, um, and he wins the presidency in 1932, this is during the Great Depression. The Great Depression was hard on white people. It was horrific for us. Hell, we lost over 200,000 farms during the Great Great Depression. So uh, we saw some type of relief in the policies of the New Deal from President Roosevelt. Okay, so just as America ceased to be predominantly Anglo-Saxon, so had black-white relations ceased to be primarily a problem for the South. In short, Republicans failed 
to develop a program which could attract major elements of the new urban America, okay, a a constituency that formed the core of the Roosevelt New Deal coalition that propelled Democrats into power in the 1930s. Now, Dr. W.B. Dubois insightfully observed that the dominant theme of the 20th century America, of 20th century America, would be the color line. As historian Manning Marable points out, that line, the color line, dating back to Reconstruction, Reconstruction is right after slavery ends, 1865 to 1877, was remarkably resilient, outlasting the Southern experiment in uh, multiracialism, economic depressions, foreign wars, and massive migrations of African Americans from the South to the North. Congress management or avoidance of the issue of race relations in this era strongly confirms Manning Marable's assessment of the durability of racial prejudice and the pervasive nature of segregation in America. Throughout the first half of the 20th century, Congress lagged behind the executive and the judicial branches and sometimes behind uh, and sometimes behind popular will in terms of racial issues. Change would arise from a second reconstruction a second reconstruction known as the civil rights movement and this in the civil rights movement derived from people not imposed on them one shaped by everyday african americans operating largely outside of political channels who would slowly convince society of the need for change by then african americans would have allies and advocates within the federal government such as oscar de priest Okay, who was from uh, Chicago, um, and he was um, he was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives from Chicago, uh, from a Chicago-based district in 1928. Oscar De in ending African Americans' long exile from Congress, Oscar De election would infuse millions with hope, and validate the power of organized um, African American politics in northern cities. Okay. So that's the first part of this history I want to get to. And um, you can read that article that that information comes from without my commentary because uh, I added a lot of history to it. Um, that is from his, that is from um, the U.S. Congress. That is from history.house.gov. History.house.gov. House.gov is the official website of the U.S. Congress. And they have a lot of historical articles at history.house.gov. That's called party realignment, party realignment, okay? So if we look at, um, we'll come, uh, let's see, we're coming up on a break. When we come back, we'll get into how the party of Abraham Lincoln lost virtually the entire black vote in 88 years because ChicagoMag.com has a really good article, and this talks about the Chicago Defender and the role the Chicago Defender, African-American, historic African-American newspaper, played in the 1928 election, which ties right into this history. Um, let's go to the phone lines um, uh, quickly before the break. Let's go to Leroy. Leroy, line one. Hey, welcome to the African History Network show. Leroy, thanks for holding. Tell us what city you're calling from. I'm 
calling from Detroit. All right, and, all right, go ahead, man. Well, a couple things that when you talk about that, you you, you can't minimize one World War One, World War Two, the Industrial Revolution, the role that black folks played in that. The other yeah. thing is, even when you talk about the boy and and, and Booker T, you know, y'all y'all talk like the boys was all of that. When 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 in the reality was he was just as manufactured as anybody as anybody else. But the other thing no, is nobody the, the said the boy was all that. I'm I'm not finished. Nobody said okay. the boy was all that. Uh, so I don't yeah, I'm not, I don't know where you're getting is, that from. Okay, well I'm just saying you know this is where I'm, I could be wrong, but that's where I'm picking it up. Not just you, but others too. But the, the reality is is that during the, during the World War Two, when they said that when they were running short on manpower. And uh, General Douglas MacArthur said, "Hey, y'all got people there that, that y'all ain't we ain't even using, and they know warriors." Right. He said, Send, "Give me them black folks. Give me them black guys." When we went over there, because what what really happened was during World War II, a lot of white folks, white guys, refused to fight Nazi right. Germany. Right. They refused to fight, so they, they had to pick. They had to pick up. We had to go over there and pick up that slack. That, that was one. That was one thing, but the other thing is now when you talk about what happened with, with the party of Lincoln and black folks, when we migrated from a, now a lot of blacks from Mississippi went to Chicago, mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia came up here to Detroit, North Carolina and then went to uh, Philly and, and New York, and we we took our culture with us. Mm-hmm. Now you know now the other part of that is is that we always have to remember. And we all can say what we want, but, you know, the facts is the facts. Kennedy was supposed to sign that civil rights bill, and he, he said he wasn't going to do it. Right, he right. Said he, was, he dragged but, his feet he, on it. But he, even before then, Eisenhower had what, what they called the big six, Dr. King and five others. He had them in the White House with, with Richard Nixon as the vice president. They was going to sign that civil rights bill. Because it was promised. But the other thing is now the other thing that you got you you, you got to remember too is uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, the yeah. role that Eleanor Roosevelt played because she was responsible for the public housing. Right. Right. Okay. She was responsible for the public housing that that came about in New York, in in uh, in uh, Philly, Chicago, Detroit. She was she was the one that was responsible for that, and that's and that's her husband was the was the big boss. Yeah, I haven't gotten to that part yet. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Okay, so, you know, I mean, I just want to, but, but the reality is, is that you can't take away what Booker T was doing because Booker T was working behind the scenes, too. I mean, he right. got beat up in New York. That's what he mm-hmm. got beat up at, and they sent him back to Alabama. Right. And he was never the same. Right. Okay, instead he was peeping through a, peep, a woman's peephole when he was raising money for Tuskegee. Booker mm-hmm. T was, was financing newspapers and everything else. W.B. Du Bois couldn't even come. He never did any any of that. He ran to Africa and stayed there during the pivotal point of our history. In Ghana. You know, and yeah. that, y'all got to, you know, when you when you talk about Du Bois, and they got a big statue of him, I'm going to tell you what I heard now. I, I, I went to Morehouse in Atlanta. When they was going, we, they, we named a dormitory after uh, Du Bois. And this is what I heard the old professors say. I'm talking about guys that at that time in the 70s, they was already 80 years old. This right. is what they said. How could we put anything to have anything to do with W.B. Du Bois on this campus? Right, right. But Du Bois was yeah. also against uh, Marcus Garvey as well. 
Yeah. And, and, and so, okay. and so the, other, the other thing you got to remember, blacks, you had a faction of blacks that was in the Communist Party. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't just the Democrats. They was against civil rights. They was against civil rights. You're talking about and the Communist Party. You talking about the Communist Party. Communist Party. Yeah. Okay. They were against civil rights, and the thing of it is, is that they reemerged in the sixties. Yeah. All yeah. of them. A few of them reemerged in the sixties, and when they reemerged, you'd be surprised who they were. Right. And they, right. They, they claim they were, you know, but I'm just saying, you know, when we talk about this business with the Democratic, because we all know the, the bottom line was is that slavery, was, when, 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 uh, when the, when the uh, Emancipation Proclamation was signed, it still didn't go into effect until, until after the Civil War. You know, no, nobody was our friend. Nobody Emanci- was our friend. Emancipation Proclamation went into effect January 1st, 1863, but that, that's not what freed the slaves. No, it's not. It was the 13th Amendment that freedom for child slavery. But, look, we're coming up on a break. Thanks for calling, Leroy. Thanks for calling. All right, right, you listen to the African History Network show, 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Future Radio, Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that all-natural honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer all-natural honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to crazyboyhoney.com. That's crazyboyhoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free. In the world so cold, black people just to make it better stay on cold. These kids need the tools to win, so we put it on the book to share with all our friends. I don't believe there's no coincidence that we were born so brave at a time like this. So pack your bag, let's get ready to go to the land of justice, ain't coming back no more. See, man. Z-Man and the Right Choice Kids. Get yours today at ZMANKids.com. This episode, Obey Your Parents. Hotel brothers and sisters, Brother Michael Bullock is a multi-talented researcher, investigative reporter, educator, and public speaker with over 20 years of experience lecturing on African history worldwide. Brother Bullock, a.k.a. The Black Knight, is the founder and CEO of Black Knight Productions, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the research and teachings, if I may be so bold, of the greatest story never told, African history. Brother Bullock teaches in all areas of human interaction, those major ones being economics, entertainment, education, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. So for more information, if your organization would like to have the total experience of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of what this brother brings to the table, then reach out to the Black Knight, and he will certainly reach back to you. So contact him directly at mbull 357 at gmail.com. That's mbull 357 at gmail.com. Hotel, brothers and sisters. Hey, this is Alex, the App Nerd. 
I create low-cost, high-quality mobile apps for people like you. Do you want to take your business to the next level by reaching more customers and potential clients? How about making ordering products and scheduling services easier? Does your church or organization want to improve youth participation? Perhaps you want to create a mobile game or dating app and make money off of paid ads. Well, what are you waiting for? Let me help you. Go to my site, appinmyhead.com. Request a free quote today. That's appinmyhead.com. What would you do if someone took your real life story and stole it from you, made millions off of it, and got away with it? That is exactly what happened to Shatona Tillman Sr., the real John Q. Being one of the most innovative and prolific writers of his time, his new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story, gives chilling testimony of his personal battle for justice against big names like Time Warner and New Line Cinema. In his unapologetic new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, you'll hear about the judges and corrupt lawyers as Shatona Tillman Sr. warns us about the life and the pitfalls in the movie industry. You'll be at the edge of your seat as this book reveals the brutal truth about the theft of the feature film John Q, how Time Warner in New Line Cinema stole his movie and how he's fighting to get it back. Pick up your very own copy today, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story by Shatonda Tillman Sr. You won't regret it at www.therealjohnq.com. Are you looking to regain your health and vitality? Then visit naturallifeenergy.com. That's naturallifeenergy.com. It is an alkaline, plant-based diet website based on Dr. Sebi's methodology and nutritional guide, which supports the healthy expression of the African black gene, but it benefits everyone. Combat the ill effects of white supremacy that has brainwashed black people into eating foods that support the development of diabetes, high blood pressure, and cancer. Gain a better understanding of how to use a plant-based diet based on Dr. Sebi's nutritional guide to help heal your body and mind by reading Achilles' book, Alkaline Plant-Based Diet. Learn how to use herbs used in Dr. Sebi's methodology to help address complex diseases like lupus and IBS in his herbal book, Alkaline Herbal Medicine. Alkaline Herbal Medicine. Purchase Achilles' books from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other book retailers. Get your copies today. I know you all watched the movie Black Panther and saw Wakanda and wanted to buy a one-way ticket straight to that magical place. Well, why not? The International Black Book is a cyber Wakanda, a black wonderland. It is well overdue for the black diaspora to come together and build a global community where we can choose to buy black, travel black, and eat black. Place your complimentary listing of your business or agency. You are welcome at internationalblackbook.com, internationalblackbook.com. Sign up today. All right, welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. Hey, I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, uh, November 4th, 2018, two days before midterm elections. And uh, we're talking about um, picking up on the conversation from 
two or three weeks ago, the topic two or three weeks ago we dealt with, and um, building on the uh, interview, the conversation we had with Dr. Claude Anderson last Sunday, we're dealing with the history of why African Americans switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party, okay? So we'll get back to that in just a minute here. I want to remind you that coming up uh, Wednesday, November 7th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, the 50th anniversary of the Detroit Black Panther Party, the 50th anniversary of the Detroit Black Panther Party presentation and moderated panel discussion. Keynote speaker, uh, Dr. Charles E. Jones, professor uh, and department head, University of Cincinnati. Uh, the moderator will be uh, Samuel, um, uh, let's see, he is in the Ph.D., Samuel uh, Hogsett uh, from Wayne State University. Panelists include Luke Tripp, Ph.D., uh, member of DRUM and professor at, at St. Cloud State. Uh, Aaliyah Harvey Quinn, director of Force Detroit. Um, Farouk um, Aziza Din, direct, uh, a D Detroit Black Panther Party member. And Lenny Sinclair, co-founder of the White Panther Party. Uh, visit therite.org, W-R-I-G-H-T, therite.org for more information. It's a free event open to the public, so uh, be sure to come out and support the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. Uh, also, they have a, let's see, Sunday, November 11th, 3 p.m., they have a, um event taking place there. They're screening a documentary called Human Zoos, Human Zoos, Z-O-O-S, on display in the name of science. It's a free screening and a discussion featuring film director John West, and uh, there will be a panel discussion Sunday, November 11th, 3 p.m., in the General Motors Theater. Human Zoos reveals the shocking history of how people from Africa and elsewhere were put on exhibition as missing links between humans and apes. Missing links between humans and apes. See the documentary and then participate in a uh, Q&A session with the film director and other panelists, okay? Um, and they have a website you can check out. It's, um, so you have to register. It's free, a free film screening, but you have to register. Uh, humanzoos.org forward slash Detroit. Humanzoos, Z-O-O-S dot org forward slash Detroit. Okay, America, America's forgotten history of scientific racism. Okay, so uh, right before the break, we were dealing with uh, the history of why African Americans switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. And uh, also, want to let you know quickly, we have the 8-DVD bundle pack, The Africans Who Were Here Before Columbus, the Africans who were here before Columbus uh, DVD bundle pack at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, includes uh, my presentation and with Dr. David M. Hotep, a lecture we did together dealing with the first Americans were Africans, documented evidence, and also um, dealing with, uh, we have a lecture from Dr. Uh, Ivan Van Sertema that came before Columbus and some other goodies in there also. Okay, that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And... Um, Lastly here, okay, um, the, I have to let you know when the next meeting for the um, Black Legacy uh, Coalition to save the Charles H. Wright Museum is coming up. I have to pull that information up. I'll get that to you before we get off the air tonight. All right, so let's go back um, to uh, the history I was dealing with. Okay, so when we look at 1928, 1928 was a pivotal time, that 1928 presidential election, okay, 
And um, ChicagoMag.com has a really good article that deals with how the party of Lincoln lost virtually the entire black vote in 88 years, how the party of Lincoln lost, lost virtually the entire black vote in 88 years. In 1928, the Chicago Defender, historic African-American newspaper, the Chicago Defender warned the GOP that it was in danger of alienating African-Americans. The GOP did not listen, and the fall came fast, okay? So going back to June of 2016, okay, during a few months before the 2016 presidential election, June of 2016, the, um, the uh, political uh, website 538, 538 had a, um, a political reporter named Claire Malone, M-A-L-O-N-E, Claire Malone, who did a thorough dive into how the GOP, the Republican Party, lost the votes of um, every significantly large minority group in the country, every significantly large minority group in the country becoming a party of breathtaking, quote-unquote, breathtaking whiteness. Their words, not mine, even though I concur. And she starts somewhere very interesting, okay? So um she said in the, in the book, Party Ideologies in America, from 1828 to 1996. Party ide- Ideologies in America, 1828 to 1996. Political scientist John Gehring, G-E-R-R-I-N-G, marks the beginning of the modern Republican Party as Herbert Hoover's shifting campaign rhetoric in 1928 in 1932, when he talked about the virtues of the American home and family, uh, more so than hard tack economics, because this is during um, the Great Depression, which starts in 1929. This is during the Great Depression. Okay, so he's talking about family values. So Herbert Hoover's oratory about the progress of the individual being threatened by an overzealous government bureaucracy stuck around for the next eight decades. And the wisdom of generations has helped us discern that this was indeed the start of a new Republican era. But it's missing something significant, something I learned when I interviewed uh, Ethan uh, uh, Michali, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-I, about his epic history, um, it's, a, it's a book entitled The Defender, How the Legendary Black Newspaper Changed America. The Defender, How the Legendary Black Newspaper Changed America. And in this book, uh, Michael weaves the Chicago Defender's work in and out of the country's evolution in the 20th century, from boxing rings to Chicago wards to the highest echelons of White House politics. So in the uh, in the excerpt from the book from chapter 10 says, in the final weeks of the 1928 general election, the Chicago Defender printed a series of articles and editorials that listed post-war grievances with the Republican Party. So this is after World War One. This is basically 1914 and 1918. This is after World War I, okay? And these are grievances that African-Americans have with the Republican Party. In Washington, D.C., 
where the federal government was in direct authority. Republican presidents, um, Warren G. Harding and, and Calvin Coolidge, as well as Republican majorities in the U.S. Congress, had not only acquiesced to the segregation of public transit, but failed to stop or even criticize parades of thousands of Ku Klux Klansmen before the White House. The newspaper was particularly dissatisfied with the current Republican nominee for president, Herbert Hoover, who had spoken favorably of making the party, quote-unquote, lily white, and excluded African Americans from their traditional role in that year's Republican National Convention. Most troubling of all was the candidate's covert backing from the Ku Klux Klan, whose members despised the Democratic nominee, New York Governor Al Smith, because he was Catholic. So Al Smith, as I said prior to the break, he was a Northern Democrat, okay? And, and you have the Southern segregationists, okay, Dixiecrats, and a lot of them don't like um, Catholics, okay? And a lot of them were Klan sympathizers or Klansmen themselves. So, and in the case of um, Oklahoma, you had Klans women too. Because Oklahoma, when you study the history of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the um, Black Wall Street and the race riot there breaks out June 1st, 1921, and the rejuvenation of the Ku Klux Klan, which comes about uh, largely because of the movie The Birth of a Nation, which debuts February 8th, 1915, and is even shown at the White House with President Woodrow Wilson. Um, the In Oklahoma, they had an auxiliary group of the Klan for white women. Okay, so Congress had not only acquiesced to the segregation of public transit, but failed to stop or even criticize parades of thousands of Ku Klux Klansmen before the White House. The Chicago Defender newspaper was particularly dissatisfied with the current Republican nominee for President Herbert Hoover, who had spoken favorably making the party lily white and excluded African Americans from their a traditional role in that year's Republican National Convention, okay? Most troubling, most troubling of all was the candidate's covert backing from the Ku Klux Klan, whose members despised the Democratic nominee, New York Governor Al Smith, because he was Catholic. This was just 65 years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and goes into effect January 1st, 1863, which was a military strategy that not freed enslaved Africans. Many people who had been emancipated from slavery by the actions of a Republican president, Lincoln, were still alive, with many more living under the rule of Democratic Jim Crow Southern politicians. So what the Ch Chicago Defender did next was quite bold. Finally, in an October 20th, 1928 editorial entitled, What We Want, What We Want the Chicago Defender made a dramatic announcement. They said, quote, we want justice in America, and we mean to get it. If 50 years of support to the Republican Party doesn't get us justice, 
then we must of necessity shift our allegiance to new quarters, end quote. It was the first time the Chicago Defender had failed to endorse the Republican presidential candidate since 1912. Now, in the run-up to the 1912 presidential election, Woodrow Wilson, despite a typical history as a Southern Democrat, had reached out to African-American voters, including leaders like Dr. W.B. Du Bois. After Woodrow Wilson's victory, the Chicago Defender newspaper reported that a substantial number of blacks supported Woodrow Wilson. Once in office, Woodrow Wilson immediately alienated his African-American supporters. Okay, kind of like Donald Trump. He'll, he'll invite him to the White House, young black leadership, so he'll invite him to the White House. But what substantive policies came out of that meeting? So Robert Abbott, founder of the Chicago Defender, is a diehard Republican his whole life, uh, my colleagues uh, uh, stated. He went on to say, quote, but with Hoover, Herbert Hoover, who is explicitly I wouldn't describe him as a racist, but he's interested in what he called a, quote-unquote, lily-white Republican Party. This is after generations in which the Republican Party has stood for racial justice, is founded on racial justice, because it was founded by groups of abolitionists who were trying to abolish slavery. So Robert Abbott, founder of the Chicago Defender, feels that it's quite a betrayal. At this point, even he is frustrated with the Republican Party. And there's that famous Chicago Defender cartoon. There was a phrase, the Republican Party is the ship, all else is the sea. The Republican, the Republican Party is the ship, all else is the sea, S-E-A. And, and there's a cartoon the Chicago Defender runs that says, if this is the ship, we'll take the sea. If the, if, if the Republican Party is the ship, we'll swim because it's not doing us any good. Okay, this, this is um, the 1928 era, okay? So the Chicago Defender did not immediately turn against the GOP as a whole. As McCallie, uh describes, the former alderman, Oscar DePriest, from Chicago, was running as a Republican for the U.S. House of Representatives and poised to be the first African-American in Congress from a northern state. Oscar DePriest won and remained in office until 1935, a counterweight to the thawing relationship between the Chicago Defender and the Democrats, which picked, which picked up after four years of Herbert Hoover. Okay, so the shit, so after so Herbert Hoover only serves one term. After that one term of Herbert Hoover, the Chicago Defender is warming up to the Democrat to the Democratic Party. So the Republican National Convention was held in Chicago that summer, which to those at the Chicago Defender made the near absence of African Americans all the more galling. So, cons so consistently had Herbert Hoover pursued his policy of making the party lily white that the 
newspaper, Chicago Defender newspaper, had to fight even to get African-American delegates seated. By contrast, black delegates, delegates spoke at the Democratic National Committee one month later in Chicago, where the Chicago Defender received a comparatively warm reception from uh, Franklin Roosevelt and his wife, Eleanor Roosevelt. So they're being pushed out of the Republican Party because of Herbert Hoover's Lily White movement. And they received a much better reception from the DNC at their convention. In exchange, the Chicago Defender newspaper framed the convention and its nominee, um, President Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, in a positive light. Herbert Hoover met with a large black delegation at the White House, but, quote, still refused to be photographed with the group, maintaining his policy of not appearing in print with African Americans, end quote. Okay, totally different than Trump, because Trump loves to have a, he loves to have a photo out with, 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 with African Americans, so they can run that at the top of every hour on Fox News. Mike Halley goes on to say, quote, but they don't quite break with the Republican Party at this point. It really takes Robert Abbott's nephew and successor, John Sing Singstock, and the, Rose the Franklin Roosevelt administration, and specifically within the Roosevelt administration, Mary McLeod Bethune, as the forces that start to realign not just the Chicago Defender, but African-American leadership, and then the African-American masses to realign them, realign all of this behind the Democratic Party. It's a long campaign that really comes from leaders of that caliber and at that level. You could not have done it without uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt and without his uh, wife, Mrs. Mrs. Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt. Now, Mary McLeod Bethune was a director of the Office of Minority Affairs in the National Youth Administration and a conduit between the cab cabinet and African-American leaders. And she was a friend of Eleanor Roosevelt, who, and it was Eleanor Roosevelt who pushed her husband to um, employ Mary McLeod Bethune in his administration. The Chicago Defender's leadership had correctly perceived something about President Roosevelt, but it wasn't enough to endorse him, given the still quite racist nature of the Democratic Party as a whole. But the tipping point was near. Oscar DePriest from Chicago ran against Roosevelt's New Deal as quote-unquote socialism and radicalism, okay? And because it perpetuated segregation, he had a point there. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You listen to the African History Network show, 910A on the Superstation, the future radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Reading is imperative, family. Remember, it was illegal for our ancestors to read and gain knowledge of self. Still to this day, we lack a knowledge of self, especially this younger generation. DTR 360 Books has the books for you to develop and add to your knowledge in this world we live in. DTR 360 Books 
is one of the fastest growing online bookstores and it provides books dealing with finance, history, business, children's books, and more. Their motto is applied knowledge is true power. As the Bible states, faith without works is dead. So their thing is applying the knowledge that which you receive from these books. Visit their website today, dtr360books.com, dtr360books.com, and you can find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mel Trek is an animated series that teaches our children about their greatness. Episode 1 deals with exploring ancient Africa, where they go back in time and visit various African civilizations and the contributions that they gave to the world. Episode 2 deals with exploring pre-Columbian Americas and the children journey back in time to learn about several aboriginal cultures, defining structures and nations who arrived in the Americas before Christopher Columbus. This is a great teaching tool for homeschooling and the classroom, and they teach our children that their history did not start in slavery. We have the videos as well as the coloring book and storybook available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a Mail Trek bundle pack on sale right now for $79.99, and it includes all three episodes of Afro Man and the protectors of the book of knowledge. Get this great gift and teaching tool for your children today at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And Anime Productions presents Meltrek, Episode 1, Exploring Ancient Africa. Witness the most accurate historical account of African, African-American people. A story that has never been told like this before. Join Bunchy, Chen, Percy, Michelle, and Jesse as they open their third eyes and are sent back in time by their magical teacher, Miss Lawford. They begin their adventure in ancient Africa and the Nile Valley. There, they meet a young Egyptian boy named Ramesses. Using hip-hop, funky beats, and rhymes, Ramesses teaches the children about the great kingdoms of Africa. They explore the Nile Valley. The Nile Valley was a place of people gone as the first land of the gold that they sold Nasa. Valley and Songhai. Mali and Songhai must have had some serious armies. The Congo. The Congo region is beautiful. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe's where we land. And Zulu. Witness the mental and spiritual transformation of the characters. Not only will they transform, but you will also as you travel with Meltrek. Let's resurrect the spirit of our ancestors inside all of us and recall that we all come from greatness so we can be great. We're gonna do a different time zone where our ancestors always sat down the throne. Yeah, and I'm talking about you and me. Our people say she considered greatness and royalty. Talk about the mail trap. 
Are you struggling with your finances or just need a second opinion? My name is Martisha Patterson and I am here to help. Whether you have questions about credit, retirement, taxes, investments, or meeting day-to-day -day responsibilities, you deserve access to a qualified, caring, and resourceful financial professional. As a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry, I have a passion for helping people gain confidence and become successful with money. Taking control of your finances creates options instead of obstacles confidence instead of uncertainty. Make no mistake, this is an important step for all of us. Will you allow your situation to control you or will you take control and make your money behave? My name is Martisha Patterson. Call or email me today to schedule an appointment. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384 or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio A. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Sunday, November 4th, 2018, two, two days to midterm elections. Uh, make sure you vote your interest, regardless of political party. Vote your interests um, and, you know, vote those who are going to support the issues that are important to you and your people, okay? And vote against those who are against the issues, that are important to you and your people, okay? All right. And be sure to listen to uh, the podcast of our shows at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com and anywhere you get your podcasts, search for the African History Network show. We're on six different podcast platforms. Uh, we're on Blog Talk Radio, CastBox, TuneIn.com, ACAST, FM Player. Uh, those are the ones I know of. Also, we have the... Um, Bundle pack of uh, the Africans who were here before Columbus, the Africans who were here before Columbus, eight DVD bundle pack at African at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, all right. So let's go back. Uh, we are dealing with the history of why African Americans switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. Why we switched from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. All right. Very quickly, I had to uh, look for this information. The next meeting of the uh, Black Legacy Coalition to Save the African-American, uh, Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History, is taking place at the Wellness Plan Building, uh, Wednesday, November 14th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., 7700 2nd Avenue, 7700 2nd Avenue, first floor, Wellness Plan Building, uh, Wednesday, November 14th, 2018, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, it's open to the public. Come on out, and we'll get this at our website um, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Okay, so we were talking about Mary McLeod Bethune. We were talking about the President Roosevelt, Franklin uh, Roosevelt administration. All right. So the um, the Chicago Defenders' leadership had correctly perceived something about uh, Franklin Roosevelt, but it wasn't enough to endorse him, given the still quite racist nature of the Democratic Party as a whole. But the tipping point was near. Oscar DePriest from Chicago ran against Roosevelt's New Deal as socialism and radicalism, okay, and because it perpetuated segregation, all right? So we know some of the policies are going to be beneficial, but some of the other policies, because they put resources into the hands of the states, um, they're going to be distributed um, to white people, and African Americans are going to be excluded from some of these policies also. All right, so Oscar DePriest lost his 1934 election to Arthur Mitchell, 
And Mitchell, who had switched parties just two years earlier, became the first African-American Democrat in Congress, okay? Um, I mean, well, the priest became the uh, first African-American Democrat in, in Congress. Uh, but from all indications, not only in Illinois, but all over the country, black voters across the nation have taken President Franklin Roosevelt at his word and that the New Deal is not to be uh, circumscribed by races, colors, or deeds, wrote the Chicago Defender reporter uh, Archie Fields, okay? And, um, okay, I think you're saying Mitchell was uh, the, the first African-American Democrat in Congress, okay? All right, so Roosevelt's words did not necessarily hold. As Ira uh, Katznelson, Katznelson has documented, segregation persisted through government programs and employment during the New Deal and uh, World War II and its aftermath, and, quote, contends that those programs not only discriminated against African Americans, but actually contributed to widening the gap between white and, and um, African Americans, judged in terms of educational achievement, quality of jobs and housing, and attainment of higher education. And if you read the book, um, how white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy. They talk about how a lot of the policies from the New Deal, because they were put into the hands of states to be distributed, the, the resources, how they discriminate against African Americans. And they talk about the Social Security Administration, for instance, which was created in 1935. And the um, Social Security Administration it discriminated based upon um, occupation. So if you were a domestic worker, you were a maid, a washerwoman, a butler, things like that, even in some cases I think a farmer, uh, or you worked in agriculture, you were a sharecropper, something like that, you couldn't qualify for Social Security. Um, same thing applied to the Minimum Wage Act. Minimum Wage Act uh, started in about 1935. So some of these policies discriminated based upon um, occupation and because of uh, history and because of things like uh, the black codes, uh, because of um, land, because of uh, many African-Americans being locked out of land distributions or land redistributions after slavery ends, we're, we're, we're locked out. Uh, of we were locked out of a lot of uh, of a lot of those programs, okay? Because they they discriminated based upon um, um, occupation, okay? So this is one of the things that they're talking about. Uh, you look at the GI Bill, which was created about 1944. Um, the early on the distribution of those resources to go to college, many African Americans are, are going to be locked out of that. And when we when we could take advantage of it. They break this down in uh, How White Folks Got So Rich, The Untold Story of American White Supremacy. They deal with how um, a lot of times we were directed into um, occupations or, or to get uh, degrees for occupations that were low-paying occupations as well. So they, they lay out how a lot of these policies, because they were put into, because the resources were put into the hands of 
state governments to distribute the resources, how we got discriminated against um, various ways, okay? How white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy, all right? Yeah, author, author, Words Mitchell, uh, Mitchell, W-E-R-G-S, he was a Democrat, Arthur Words Mitchell, okay? And um, he uh, won the election there uh, in uh, 35 against Oscar DePriest. Okay, let's continue here. All right. So all this deals with history, okay? So um, Oscar DePriest loses his uh, election in 1934 to Arthur Mitchell, okay? And uh, so Roosevelt's, uh, President Roosevelt's word did not necessarily hold. Uh, as Ira Katznelson has documented, segregation persisted uh, through government programs and employment during the New Deal. Okay, this is during the um, uh, Great Depression. Uh, also, it continues during World War II and its aftermath and, quote, contends that those programs not only discriminated against African-Americans, but actually contributed to the widening, uh, to widening the gap between uh, white and black Americans judged in terms of educational achievement, quality of jobs and housing and attainment of higher income. Now the Chicago defender editorial board, um, in 1932, uh, found, uh, found reason to praise president Roosevelt or Franklin Roosevelt, but distrust the democratic party as a whole. They found reason to praise president, uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, but distrust the Democratic Party as a whole. But Herbert Hoover had also done tremendous damage to the Republican Party um, among a constituency that owed more to it than perhaps any constituency had owed a political party in the country's history. Thanks to the strength of that relationship and the power of party politics, the party would continue to retain African-American voters for decades after the Herbert Hoover administration. But it slipped away generation after generation. So generation after generation, you have less and less African-Americans who are Republicans and more who are Democrats. On the other side, the Democratic Party's intransigence in supporting African-American voters alienated from the GOP lengthened the process. McCalley described the, the Kennedy campaign's relationship to African-American voters to me as quote-unquote diffident and outlined how a brilliant former defender, a Chicago defender reporter, termed political operative uh, Lewis Martin was able to make a late push among black voters that pushed John F. Kennedy over the top. This is 1960, 1960 presidential election, and Kennedy's running against Nixon, okay? In fact, McCallie lays out a compelling argument that Lewis Martin's um, machinery, the, the um, machinery he put together, the campaign he put together, were effective enough to sell the Chicago Defender on uh, John F. Kennedy. And its endorsement pushed Kennedy ahead by 190,000 votes in Chicago's 
black wards in a state he won by fewer than 10,000 votes. So Kennedy wins Illinois by fewer than 10,000 votes. Now, when you watch Eyes on the Prize, and I watched that because I was doing, um, I was speaking at Hartford Memorial Baptist Church, was it weekend before last? I think it was. Um, and I was doing workshops on the revolutionary Dr. King. So whenever I speak on Dr. King, I go and watch um, my box set series of Eyes on the Prize from 1955 to 65. And they talk about the uh, 1960 presidential election, Nixon versus Kennedy. Be- uh, Kennedy wins that election by less than two-thirds of one percentage point. That's how close that 1960 election was. He won by less than two-thirds of one percentage point. And the African-American vote made the difference. It pushed him ahead. So the politics of Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon would complete a process that had begun decades before. Okay? It was not the end of the party of Lincoln as a big tent, but the GOP lost the diverse Muslim vote much faster, uh, once holding a majority among the uh, growing religious minority that ranged from uh, decent to dramatic as late as the year 2000. Their support among the demographic is now comparable to their support among African Americans. Okay, um, and they talk about Hispanics uh, heavily. His, uh, Latinos have heavily favored Democratic presidential candidates every election since 1980, but George W. Bush made substantial inroads following Bob Dole's 21% vote among Latino voters with 35% in the year 2000 and a high of 40% in 2004. Okay. All right. So uh, check out check out that article from ChicagoMag.com, which deals with the 1928 election and the role the Chicago Defender played. And this deals with some more history of the shift of African Americans shifting from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party and why, all right? So um, a couple weeks ago, well, October 25th, that that uh, that weekend of October 25th, at the White House, you had the Young Black Leadership Summit, right? And we talked about this last week, so. Um. And that's Candace Owens, Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA. And Roland Martin was there and Roland interviewed. He covered it for um, Roland Martin Unfiltered, his daily digital show. And he talked about it on his show and he talked about how um, he was engaged in some of the young black conservatives there. They were ages uh, 15 to 35. And he talked about how a lot of them didn't understand history a lot of them didn't know what they were talking about, et cetera, right? So there was a good article from thegrio.com about this. And I've done, I did a Facebook Live broadcast. You can watch all of um, those Facebook Live broadcasts at our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network on Facebook. Click on videos and also go to YouTube. We put a lot of them on our YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotep on YouTube. So there was an article from thegrio.com called Young Black Conservatives stand for Trump at White House Leadership Summit. This is from October 29th, 2018, okay? What was the date they met? The other thing was like October, was it 26 or something like that they met? All right, I have to go back and look. But 
in this article, they got responses and they had some brief interviews with some of the people that were there. It was the 26th, 27th, and 28th, I think they met. I think that's what it was. They were there at the White House that Friday, which was the 26th. So on page four of this article, I want to hone in on this for the sake of time. So they interviewed one African-American female uh, conservative. Her name is Bevelyn Beatty. Bevelyn Beatty. And it says she was dressed in bright red from head to toe, a look which both fit in with the MAGA hats, Make America Great Again, and stood out amongst the sea of black suits, the black suits that the conservatives were wearing. Her voice echoed across the street when she spoke passionately about why she chose to vote for Donald Trump. She said, quote, I got so much ridicule, I was called a disgrace to my people. And let me tell you something, it was predominantly white people who told me this. She says, now I'm, she says, now I'm not a racist, okay? She said, I'm not a racist now. I love my white people, but let's make something very clear. When you have a white person tell you how to think because you're black, that is racism. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race that comes out of the ideology of white supremacy. That's what racism is. They have more sense than you do, okay? So then she goes on to make the fatal historical mistake, and she quotes Malcolm X. Well, she tries to quote Malcolm X. She paraphrases Malcolm X. And she said, quote, Malcolm X said, it is very clear any African-Americans who vote for liberals that have continued to make promises and yet have not done anything and have not kept and have not kept their promises are a chump and a disgrace to your race, end quote. OK, this is what she said. She went on to say, we are, we are not the disgrace. We are not angry black people. We are not people that are stupid. We are not dumb. Look at these educated faces. Okay, that, that's up for debate. She said, I came here and I was like, wow, all these black conservatives. So you're telling me I'm not the only one. Okay. Um, so, so let's see. This is, this is problematic. Um, it, when you quote Malcolm or attempt to quote Malcolm, one, you have to understand chronology. Two, you have to discern whether this was when he was in the nation of Islam, when he left the nation of Islam, was this before he went to Mecca, was this after he went to Mecca, okay? So let me help you out here. So she's paraphrasing Malcolm from his speech, The Ballad of the Bullet. Now, Malcolm delivered The Ballad of the Bullet April 3rd, 1964 in Cleveland, Ohio. The speech she's referencing sounds like from April 4th, 1964, in Detroit, the Battle of the, of the Bullet. So if you have the book, for instance, if you have the book, Malcolm X Speaks, uh, by George Brightman, you have this book right here, Malcolm X Speaks, right? This has speeches, significant speeches from Malcolm after he leaves the Nation of Islam. He officially separates from the Nation of Islam March 8, 1964. The speech they have, they have the transcript of the speech in here. The speech they have of the Battle of the Bullet in here is the one he delivered in Cleveland, Ohio, April 3rd, 1964. Most of the transcripts online of his speech, The Ballad of the Bullet, are from April 3rd, 1964 in Cleveland. If you want the transcript for the one he delivered in Detroit, then you search for Ballad of the Bullet, Detroit, 
transcript. And you can get that from digitalhistory.uh.edu. Okay? Here's an excerpt from his speech in Detroit. Let's go to this clip. Who sent Kennedy to Washington? You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. The, when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, you're, you're the one who sent Kennedy to Washington. You're the one who put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. The, when you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years, and all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last, because you're a chump. A political chump. In Washington, D.C., in the House of Representatives, there are 257 who are Democrats. Only 177 are Republican. In the Senate, there are 67 uh, Democrats. Only 33 are Republicans. The party that you bass controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives in the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you, because you're a chump. <laughs> Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. All right, so. Now, that sounds real good for a black conservative to try to quote Malcolm. But you have to understand history and what happened after Malcolm said that. Now, that was from April 4th, 1964. Luckily, you've come to the right place. I can help you out here. So Malcolm said any time, first of all, he broke down 257 Democrats in the House of Representatives, 177 Republicans, 67 Democrats in the U.S. Senate, and 33 Republicans. And he said, anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government and that party can't keep the promises that it made to you during the election and you're dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Who controls the U.S. House of Representatives? It's about 239 Republicans to 193, 194 Democrats. Who controls the U.S. Senate? It's 51 Republicans to 47 Democrats and two independents for 49. So Republicans control the U.S. House of Representatives and they control the U.S. Senate. Who's sitting in the White House? He's a Republican, right? And they just put 
uh, one white boy who loves to drink beer on the U.S. Supreme Court. So it's five, four Republicans on the Supreme Court. So let me get this straight. Republicans control the House of Representatives. They control the U.S. Senate. And they control the presidency, right? Trump and the Republicans have systematically reversed over 100 policies that President Obama had in place. They're attacking the affordable health care. They uh, have gutted the civil rights departments at the U.S. Department of Justice, the Department of Education, the Department of Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. All across the board, they're reversing policies President Obama had in place. His, his um, white supremacist attorney general, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, May 12, 2017, redeclared the war on drugs. They uh, have backed out. They backed out of the uh, voter suppression uh, lawsuit dealing with the uh, state of Texas, dealing in the state of Texas. Uh, Jeff Sessions wanted to uh, back out of the consent decrees with the police departments in Baltimore and Chicago. So if you want to talk about somebody who's a disgrace to their race and a traitor to their race, and Republicans control the House of Representatives, and they control the U.S. Senate, and they control the White House, and they're doing everything they can to suppress the African-American vote. They're doing everything they can to reverse policies that President Obama had in place. Then who's the traitor? It's the ones walking around with the Make America Great Again hats on. These black conservatives. See, if you want to quote Malcolm, you need to understand history after he said that. Now, one, this is before Malcolm even goes to... Uh, Mecca. He leaves April 13th, 1964. This is before the Voting Rights Act is signed. It's not signed until July 64. You have a 75-day filibuster uh, by the Dixiecrats, the Southern Democrats. And when you read this speech, see, it's important. You, gotta, you have to read the speech. You can't just sit and listen to it. You have to read the speech because Malcolm is talking about the Northern Democrats and the Southern Dixiecrats. The Southern Dixiecrats are the segregationists. The, those Democratic segregationists. And he's talking about how the Northern Democrats would not kick the Southern Dixiecrats out of the Republican Party, uh, out of the Democratic Party. Okay? So this speech he gives April 4th, 1964. This is the one in Detroit. He gives this after March 26, 1964. What's significant about that date? That's the day that Malcolm X meets Dr. King. And they meet, this is the first and last time they met, they meet at the U.S. Senate debate for the Civil Rights Act. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that all-natural honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer all-natural honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to crazyboyhoney.com. That's crazyboyhoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free. In a world so cold, black people just to make it better stay on cold. These kids need the tools to win, so we put it on the books to share with all our friends. I don't believe it's no coincidence that we were born so brave at a time like this. So pack your bag, let's get ready to go to the land of justice. Ain't coming back no more. See, man. See, man, and the right. 
yours today at ZMadKids.com. This episode, Obey Your Parents. Hotel brothers and sisters, Brother Michael Bullock is a multi-talented researcher, investigative reporter, educator, and public speaker with over 20 years of experience lecturing on African history worldwide. Brother Bullock, a.k.a. The Black Knight, is the founder and CEO of Black Knight Productions, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the research and teachings, if I may be so bold, of the greatest story never told, African history. Brother Bullock teaches in all areas of human interaction, those major ones being economics, entertainment, education, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. So for more information, if your organization would like to have the total experience of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of what this brother brings to the table, then reach out to the Black Knight, and he will certainly reach back to you. So contact him directly at mbull 357 at gmail.com. That's mbull 357 at gmail.com. Hotel, brothers and sisters. 64. So Malcolm goes to the to the U.S. Senate hearings for this. So when he talks about this, this is before the Civil Rights Act is signed into law. Okay? That's July of 64. Malcolm is assassinated before the Voting Rights Act is signed into law, August 6, 1965. He's assassinated February 21, 1965. So he's a so this speech is before. These promises from the Democrats are fulfilled. One. Two, he talks about the Dixiecrats, right? But what happens is, because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, because of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, these Southern Dixiecrats, these Southern segregationists that Malcolm is largely talking about, they largely leave the Democratic Party, and where do they go? They go to the Republican Party, where they still are today. This is why you have to understand history and chronology when you, when you quote Malcolm, because the same people who talk about the, the, the obstructionist Democrats in the 60s, they don't tell you most of those people left the Democratic Party and they went to the Republican Party, and that's where they are today. Strom Thurmond. U.S. Senator, segregationist Democrat, Strom Thurmond ran for president in 1948 as a Dixiecrat because the, because the Democratic Party laid out a more pro-civil rights agenda. Now, Strom Thurmond is going to leave the Democratic Party because of the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65, and he dies a Republican. So this is, so this is why you have to understand history. People don't want to talk about that. Okay, so if you look at 1964, the Civil Rights Act, and the and the presidential election of 64, and Barry Goldwater is going to be because of the Republican Barry Goldwater, senator from Arizona, who who runs for president, and he's in opposition to civil rights. This causes the last one third of African Americans who are Republicans to largely leave the Republican Party. NPR.org um, has an article about this that breaks down this history. Why did black voters flee the Republican Party in the 1960s? Why did black voters 
bleed the Republican Party in the 1960s. And it, and it talk about how even though black voters began supporting the Democratic Party in great numbers almost a century ago, but the events of 1964 marked a dramatic shift in voting patterns that still are with us today. Vincent Hutchings, a, po a political scientist who studies voter patterns at the University of Michigan, says the first major shift in black party affiliation away from the Republican Party happened during the Great Depression, as we talked about, okay? And he talks about Franklin Roosevelt, all right? And he says the data suggests that even as late as 1960, only about two-thirds of African Americans were identified with the Democratic Party, okay? Today's about 90%. Now, according to uh, Vincent Hutchings and uh, Tuff University's historian Peniel Joseph, Barry Goldwater is what happened. Okay, uh, Professor Joseph said, quote, Barry Goldwater for Republicans becomes a metaphor for the Republican response for this revolution that happened in the United States. The revolution was Freedom Summer, the period 50 years ago, or a little more than 50 years ago now, uh, when hundreds of college students, most of them white, had journeyed to Mississippi to help African-American Mississippians become registered voters. The state's response to that integrated movement had been swift and violent. Less than a month before the GOP met for its national convention in San Francisco, organizers Andrew Goldman, James Cheney, who was African-American and born in Mississippi, and Michael Schwerner had been kidnapped and they were killed by the Klan. Um, and then uh, two, weeks, uh, two weeks after the men's disappearance and mere days before the GOP convention opened, Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act into law, making discrimination in public venues illegal. But the Civil Rights Act also made it illegal to discriminate people, uh, discriminate against people when it came to hiring, hiring practices based upon their race. Okay, they didn't just have nothing. It didn't just deal with getting a cup of coffee from white people. No, it was much more significant than that. Okay, so check out that article. Also, we got a couple minutes left. Look, let, um, we had a clip from MSNBC queued up. Let's go to that clip in just a minute. Uh, uh, Secretary of State Brian Kemp is uh, saying the Democratic Party tried to hack the, the voter database there in Georgia. Let's go to this clip. Within the last few hours, some new accusations by both sides in the race for governor. Democrat Stacey Abrams and Republican Brian Kemp, they are locked in a statistical dead heat, each at 47 percent. But this morning, Kemp, the secretary of state, is charging Georgia Democrats with attempted voter hack, to which Abrams fired back. Beth Fu, we've got to get right to you on this one. Can you help us clear this up? Yeah, it's been quite a morning here, Alex, hasn't it? I'm standing in front of the Columbia Drive United Methodist Church, where Stacey Abrams is inside worshiping. It's her home congregation. We caught her coming in uh, a little while ago. She actually showed up at church a little bit on the late side, probably not surprising, because she was dealing with this 
uh, uh, surprise uh, announcement from the Secretary of State's office. Keep in mind, the Secretary of State is her opponent, Brian Kemp, and his office announced this morning that they are doing a probe of the state Democratic Party, alleging, with no evidence that we can see, that they may have hacked into the state's voter registration system. As you can imagine, that was not something that anybody was expecting. We reached out to the Democratic Party of Georgia for a response to this allegation, and they wrote us back saying this. This is from Rebecca DeHart. She's the executive director. Brian Kemp's scurrilous claims are 100% false, and this so-called investigation was unknown to the Democratic Party of Georgia. Now, Kemp has already come into the into the crosshairs in some in some quarters because of what people say is his abuse of his office purging certain minority voters off the rolls for certain uh, discrepancies in their in all right, so that's, that's from MSNBC, so check that out. That's uh, from the day Alex Witt, MSNBC. All right, um, and last week when I had uh, Dr. Claude Anderson on, I talked about um, six, uh, how many African-Americans were registered to vote in the 2016 election. 16.4 million, only 59% voted. If we voted at the level that we voted in 2012, which 66% of African-Americans who were registered to vote voted, Trump would not be president today. He won Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania by only 78,000 votes. Just in those three states, if in 2016 African Americans voted at the level we voted in 2012, Trump would not be president today. We have to vote to stop him. We did not understand the power and value of our vote, and Republicans feared our vote more than we valued them. And uh, also, uh, you've heard me talk about this before, check out the list, Progress of the African American Community During the Obama Administration, Progress of the African-American community during the Obama administration. That's at whitehouse.gov. That breaks down. It shows you directly how policies with President Obama positively impacted the African-American community, okay, because most people ain't going to share this information with you. And Trump is systematically reversing these policies and others that President Obama put in place. Elections have consequences. All right, stay tuned for Pastor Mo. Hey, you listen to the African History Network show. Thanks for tuning in. 9, 10 a.m., the Superstation, the Michael M. Hotel. Right now, let's correct wrong behaviors. not over till we win. Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. Hey, this is Alex, the App Nerd. I create low-cost, high-quality mobile apps for people like you. Do you want to take your business to the next level by reaching more customers and potential clients? How about making ordering products and scheduling services easier? Does your church or organization want to improve youth participation? Perhaps you want to create a mobile game or dating app and make money off of paid ads. Well, what are you waiting for? Let me help you. Go to my site, appinmyhead.com. Request a free quote today. That's appinmyhead.com. What would you do if someone took your real-life story and stole it from you, made millions off of it, and got away with it? That is exactly what happened to Shatona Tillman Sr., the real John Q. Being one of the most innovative and prolific writers of his time, his new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story, gives chilling testimony of his personal battle for justice against big names like Time Warner and New Line Cinema. In his unapologetic new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, you'll hear about the judges and corrupt lawyers as Shatona Tillman Sr. warns us about the life and the pitfalls in the movie industry. You'll be at the edge of your seat as this book reveals the brutal truth about the theft of the feature film John Q, how Time Warner in New Line Cinema stole his movie and how he's fighting to get it back. 
Pick up your very own copy today. The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story by Shatonda Tillman Sr. You won't regret it at www.therealjohnq.com. Are you looking to regain your health and vitality? Then visit naturallifeenergy.com. That's naturallifeenergy.com. It is an alkaline, plant-based diet website based on Dr. Sebi's methodology and nutritional guide, which supports the healthy expression of the African black gene, but it benefits everyone. Combat the ill effects of white supremacy that has brainwashed black people into eating foods that support the development of diabetes, high blood pressure, and cancer. Gain a better understanding of how to use a plant-based diet based on Dr. Sebi's nutritional guide to help heal your body and mind by reading Achilles' book, Alkaline Plant-Based Diet. Learn how to use herbs used in Dr. Sebi's methodology to help address complex diseases like lupus and IBS in his herbal book, Alkaline Herbal Medicine alkaline herbal medicine purchase Achilles books from Amazon Barnes and Noble and other book retailers get your copies today I know you all watched the movie Black Panther and saw Wakanda and wanted to buy a one-way ticket straight to that magical place well why not the international black book is a cyber Wakanda a black wonderland it is well overdue for the black diaspora to come together and build a global community where we can choose to buy black, travel black, and eat black. Place your complimentary listing of your business or agency. You are welcome at internationalblackbook.com, internationalblackbook.com. Sign up today.